we've been doing a series of 23 and we. Um, this is a, a series about your, your DNA and, and a newness of Christ. Um, not just a new way of life, he gives you a new heart, a new mind. Um, last week, uh, Seth did a new command. Previous week before that, Fred did a, a new covenant. And as he said, we are going to do a new name today. Um, I believe that, that God wants us to know that everything about it, once you accept him, once you allow the Holy Spirit to take up residency inside of you, that there's not a thing about your life that is old. All of it is new, clear down to the, to the name that God calls you by. Um, we'll get into that in a second. I want to I refresh you guys, the, the people that have been here know the, the word that we've been using. Um, but this whole series came about when, when Fred brought to our attention the word, I believe it's pronounced kainas. Am I pronouncing? Kainas? Yes, and it, it means new. So I want you guys to see this. This is the actual definitions of it. It's new. A respect form, recently made, fresh, recent, unused, unworn. But I love this one here, a, of a new kind, unprecedented, novel, and then these two right here, uncommon and unheard of. And those are the two that, that we're really going to concentrate on today with the, the new name. It is unused, it's uncommon, it is something that is personal between you and Christ. And, and there is no other like it. What, a, what an amazing thought to think there's, what, 8 billion people on the earth right now? And, and God looks at you and says, you're not like any of the others. Not that a person to the right or the left of you, you in the eyes of God are unique and special in your own way with him. That's, a, that's an amazing Amazing thought. It really is. Um, so as, as we said, we're going to look at Revelations today uh, in chapter 2, not 3. Um, <laughs> starting in verse 12, but a lot of people, even myself, when, when we hear the word revelation, and excuse me if I say revelations, uh, my grammar is not the greatest all the time. Um, but most people think, oh, here comes the hellfire brimstone message and it's, it's the end of the world and all that kind of thing. That, this message today is, is nothing along those lines. So if you, if you got a little worried when you heard the word revelation, please just calm down for a second. We're going we're gonna to talk about something new, not something old. So the book of Revelation was written by the disciple John um, while he was exiled or, or stranded on the island of Patmos. Um, it was written somewhere around 80, 70, 80, somewhere in that era. Um, it is a, a vision that God gave him. Um, some people say an out-of-body experience. Uh, I, I don't exactly know. Um, but what it was is, is it was God speaking about what is, what is to happen from, from right now Forward. What is going to take place with the world and what is going to take place with the kingdom of God is, is what he was showing to him. So we're going to go ahead and read down through the verses that we're going to use today. Uh, we're looking at Revelation 2, starting in verse 12. And it says, and, 
and to the angel of the church of Pergamos, write these things, says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Verse 14, but I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of Nicolantus, of the Nicolantans, excuse me, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Revelations 2.17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name, which no one knows except him who receives it. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray over the top of this message. Father God, we, just, we thank you today. We tell you that we love you. We just thank you for the word that you've given us. God, we thank you that that word never changes. God, we thank you that, that you're with us in our hearts. We thank you for Jesus. And God, we ask that this message today speak to, speak to us, God. Utilize these words to, to touch us in, in our hearts, Father God, and allow us to see the truth of you. God, if there's someone here that, that doesn't know you today or, or hasn't, hasn't accepted you, God, I ask that today be the day that the, the Spirit overcomes their heart and their mind and allow them to receive their new name, Father God. Allow them to receive the freedom that, that you so greatly give to us. God, we lift up this service today in praise to you and tell you that we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, this is, in Revelations, it's a third letter. There's, there's seven letters that, that are written to seven different churches. And I just noticed it this morning, the titlings of, of these seven different correspondence or, or vision, whatever you want to call it. But they're, they're titled The Loveless Church, The Persecuted Church, The Compromising Church, the corrupt church, the dead church, the faithful church, and the lukewarm church. So like I said, this one is the, the third church that's spoken of in Revelations. And uh, it actually falls underneath of the heading of the compromising church. And I was, as I was thinking about that this morning, we compromise a lot in life. We really do. And I think that it's something that we need to, to start really thinking about and paying attention to. And before I get into to any more of it, I want to identify, and I, I say this all the time, the church is not this building. You and I are the church. Your heart is the church. So we need to stop blaming the things of life on the building. And we need to start taking accountability of ourselves. 
The first verse says, in Revelation 2.12, it says, An angel of the church of Pergamos write, These things says, He who has the sharp two-edged sword. At the beginning of each one of these letters, God is identifying something about himself so that the people know who is speaking to them. And he identifies himself as, as the sharp two-edged sword. That is something that cuts both ways. And it made me think of the, the Hebrews 4.12 scripture that says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I believe God is telling us that he sees your actions, but more importantly, he sees your heart and your mind that is behind your actions. There is no work, no deed, nothing along those lines that can save you. It is the heart that is behind it. And I believe that's what he's clearing up with the church, is that it is, it is the internal that I need you to work on. Verse 13 says, I know your works. I see the outside. I see the things you're doing. And where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. I don't believe that he's saying that, that this territory or this region is, is where Satan has set up his throne and that's the only place that he dwells and that's his home. What he's saying is, is I see the evilness that is going on around you. I see what's happening outside of the church. And he's telling them in that time frame that you hold fast to my name. You did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr. I see all the, I see all the craziness around you. I see that even, even in the desolate times of when, when people were, were, were being persecuted and killed, that you was willing to still stand and say, my faith in Jesus is strong. That's something we really need to grasp a hold of today. We live in a crazy society. And, and I believe that there's nothing new under the sun. And I believe the same things that were taking place in this time frame are, are taking place again today. We need to, to stand as they was in that time frame and not be scared to say the, the word Jesus outside of these walls. The church goes everywhere. Then he says one thing, and I, I talk about this word all the time. He says the word but on the, on the next verse. And uh, I talk about that because anytime you use the word but, everything previous to it becomes obsolete. So I don't believe, though, that God is saying, like, none of that that you did mattered or anything like that. He's saying, at that time frame, you was holding, holding fast to me. But now you're doing this. I need you to go back to what you were doing in that time. I need you to not conform to the world that is taking place because you're scared or the times are changing or that. I need you to stay true to what you, your first love. When you first came to me. I have a few things against you. Because you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam. Who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. To eat the things sacrificed to idols. To commit sexual immorality. Thus you have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. 
the N-word up there, which thing I hate. You guys have to excuse me, Fred and Seth, this morning. They, they, they was messing with me and almost said the Nickelodeons. All right. As I said, my, my education level sometimes isn't the greatest. And uh, Fred and Seth find it funny to allow me to mispronounce the words. But I'm good with it. I'm good with it. Because it is, it is he who shines in the situation, not I. Amen. Amen. So you'll see that it talks about two different doctrines in there. It talks about uh, the doctrine of Balaam and the doctrine of the, the Nickelodeons. We're going to roll with it. You guys, you guys got it up there. We're going to roll with it, though. I want to I talk to you about those two doctrines because it's, it's something that we, we're definitely seeing in today and in, in this, this life. And, and like I said, there's nothing new. But the doctrine of Balaam, Balaam himself was a false prophet. Um, he was a man who on the exterior appeared godly, uh, appeared like he was a man of faith. But in his heart, he was not. There's, if you go back into Numbers from Numbers 22 through about, I think it's num- Numbers 29, um, in the Old Testament, you'll see the, uh, uh, a very good story of Balaam. And it talks about how, he was, how, a, how a king approached him and wanted him to curse the Israelites who were headed that way. And what does he do with it? He prays to God to, to have these cursed. I won't go too much into it, but he suffers from that. He's not, he's not successful. So because he was not successful, you know what he did? He got somebody else to do the dirty work for him. He got somebody else to, to bring in the, the Midianite women to to be a distraction to those of faith. It's an issue in today's culture. When I, when I can't damage you myself, what do I do? I gossip to my neighbor to destroy your reputation, to turn them against you, to, to make them your stumbling block inside of things. That's a doctrine that has taken place again. The second doctrine that you see in there is the, the, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. There we go. Got it. This is a a doctrine to exalt leadership. To make the man greater than the God. It's a a spirit or a person that that wants to be seen for their title. It's a a person who thinks that, that they are greater than you. It's a pastor who looks down his nose at his congregation because he stands on a platform. And unfortunately, we see this. God made us all the same. God did not make me no greater than you. And if, if any of it, God, God made me less than. And this is one of the, this is, this is one of the doctrines, spiritual things that, that Jesus hates the most. And he says it. Which thing I hate. If you look at Matthew 
starting in verse 25, it says, But Jesus called to himself and said, it's the words of Jesus himself, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I want to talk to the men for a second. The fathers, the husbands. If you want to be a great leader in your household, you must serve. And this hit me hard this morning. If you want your wife to love you in the way that you want to be loved, you cannot treat her as a servant. You must be a servant to her. If you are in any type of leadership position in your job or anything like that, you, you can show a godly character, you can show a godly heart in those situations without ever using the word Jesus, without ever Bible thumping somebody. Serve your employees. In the military, the ones that I had the most respect for that became officers' leadership were the ones who came up through the ranks to get there. The ones who served in place to get to that spot. They were the ones that had the respect. If you want respect in this world, and I'm not talking about respect of the world, the respect that we are called to as followers of Christ, as the church, we must be willing to serve. And this, this is clear down to everything from scrubbing a toilet to preaching a message. No, I don't preach a message to, to be a pastor. I, I, God has chosen me to, to bring a word to serve you guys, to, to help along the lines, to, to serve in the, in the faith, to, to uplift, to encourage and it's, it's so important in this day and age that we live in that we as men need to step up and start serving. And I want you to see that what God says, if you've accepted these, these doctrines into your life, if, if, you've, if you've walked away from your... <laughs> Your, your first love that you had, the word that he uses. First, the first word, verse 16, the very first word, repent. Repent. I promised I wasn't going to get emotional with this part right here, but it, I, I've got to talk to you guys about something real quick. Yesterday, as I was going over these, these slides and these verses, and just really spending time in them, trying to correct everything, when I hit that word repent, my phone went off. And I got a message that a good friend of mine from Ashland, Kentucky had passed away. 
Guys, we don't have time. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised to leave this church today. If you have a doctrine in your life, if you have a, 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 a wickedness that is interceded on your heart, don't wait for tomorrow. And I know this is completely away from this message, but, but I really want to, 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 for you guys to understand this. Now is your time. It says that, that it will come like a thief in the night. Your death will come unexpectedly. You don't have time to wait till tomorrow. When God leads you to do something, don't say, well, I've got this or I've got that. I can take care of that later on. And I want you to understand that, that repentance is not just coming up to the altar and speaking some words. Repentance means to turn from. The doctrines that have interceded on your life, the, the, the things that you've allowed of corruption to, to walk into your home, and as we have men, as men, the things that we're allowing to take place with our children and stuff like that, repent from it today. Turn from it today. Because you're not promised what tomorrow is. He goes on to say, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. First, he says, I will come to you. God's going to let you know that you're wrong before he ever lets any, let you know anything around you is wrong. God's going to let you know to repent in the situation before you worry about curing the situation out external of you. But he says, with the sword of my mouth, there will come a day where you will stand in front of him and his word is what will determine your fate. Of whether you spend eternity in the glory of heaven and in his presence praising him, or whether you will spend it somewhere else. And like I said, I'm not going to preach fire, brimstone, all that kind of thing, but you see what I'm meaning by that of that other place. We don't... The word of my mouth. If that's not, uh, that is the most fearful thing in life, in, in existence of attorney. To hear the words, depart from me, for I do not know you, that, that cuts deep. That cuts deep, and we all need to take that into consideration and in, into heart. The, the only way to these things is with a, a, a true relationship with Christ. Because Jesus opposes any person within his churches who promote a tolerant attitude towards sin, especially those who follow Christ. Repent from it means to walk away from it. It doesn't mean to stand there and say, oh, well, it, it is just part of life today. It's, it's, what, it's, it's just what we do in the world. Forget about what you do in the world. What do you do in Christ? So here's the, the, the meat and potatoes of what I really want to talk to you guys to today. It's verse 17. It says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone 
And on that stone, a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. First part says, he who has an ear. All of us have a physical floppy little thing on the side of our head. But I don't believe that that's what's being spoken of. The ear that's being spoken is, of is, is, are you willing to listen to what it's talking about, the Spirit? Are you willing to listen to God? Are you willing to hear His Word? Are you willing to take it in? You can be willing to come here to church and sit. You can be willing to, to hear the words that, that are coming out of my mouth. But it's, it's more than just that. It's, are you willing to have it in your heart? Are you willing to truly hear what's being said by God? But it says, hear what the Spirit says, not spirits. There is one God. There is one Spirit. There's, there's one. Stop listening to all the things of the world and considering it a God and start listening to what God is saying. But then it says, to the churches. Now, this letter was, was designed and written to one specific culture, one group of people. But he uses the word churches. Again, I tell you that you and I are the church. The message that was written at this time frame and, and was sent to this specific territory was for all that were, all that are, and that all are to come. It is a message that is to all of us. To him who overcomes. This is, I mean, there's so much in just this one verse. But I want you to see that word overcomes. There's only one who overcomes. There's only one spirit that overcomes. But I want you to see what he means by, by this word overcomes here. And in the definition of this, for you and I, it says of Christians that hold fast their faith even unto death against the power of their foes and temptations and persecutions. You will be tempted. There is things of the world that look delightful. Are you willing to hold to your faith in Christ in these situations? That is what makes you an overcomer. All the other things of the world do nothing for you except for satisfy a here and now personality. To be a true overcomer, you must hold fast to your faith no matter the consequences of it. It don't matter if the next door neighbor doesn't like you. It, it doesn't matter if, if the people on the street think that you sound crazy talking about Jesus. Hold fast to your faith. I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And this is where that personal relationship comes in, that faith in Christ. He says, I will give you the, the hidden manna. The hidden manna is, is best described in John 6, verse 47. Well, starting in 47, it says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. He who has the faith in me will receive this. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that the one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, 
he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. He who wants to be the greatest has to be last as, as a ransom for the world. But once you see it, it says, your fathers ate of the manna of the wilderness and are dead. It's a, a true representation of what he's speaking of, that when you eat of only the things of the world. Now, yes, that manna that was, that was given to them was given to them from God. It rained down. I, I wholeheartedly know that. But when they partook in it, they only ate of it as it was substance of, of living right here and right now. He says that my flesh, I shall give my flesh, that bread that you eat of is your faith in knowing that the, the, the man's hands and feet were pierced for you and I. That is the faith that you hold to. That is the bread that you eat of that will give you life. Not life here, life with him. To hear those words, good job, my young and faithful servant. You must, you must eat of that bread. It says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. He who descended. It is, it is God that, that came to us. It is God that, that gave it to us. And again, I can't say it enough. Uh, the only way to this manna is with a personal relationship with Christ. The only way to this faith is with a personal relationship with Christ. Your, your YouTube viewing of the big name churches, you're, you're sitting in, church on, in this building, not the church, in this building on Sunday is not your faith. Your faith is a submissive heart to Christ. Your faith is a willingness to, to truly believe and, and confess that, yes, you are the one who died for me. I receive you. Here's what gets real good. He says, then the word and, I will give you a white stone. But that word and, if you, if you hold fast to your faith, if you believe in me, if you eat of this manna, I will do this for you. I will give you a white stone. This white stone is, is super significant. So a lot of the, the context of the Bible was written in, you know, for their understanding of that time. And I want you to know what a white stone, just some of the things a white stone represented at that time frame. So the, the court system then was of, of the, the church, is what, how they said it. And any type of law violations, anything like that was brought before them. And one of two things would happen. You'd be found guilty or not guilty, much like our court system today. They didn't bang a gavel, though. They would lay out a black stone if you were guilty. They would lay out a white stone if you were pronounced innocent. God is telling you right now that if you are willing to eat of his manna, if you are willing to hold fast, be an overcomer to, to faith in him, you're innocent. Now, 
I can tell you right now, as I stand here, there is nothing about this world that I am innocent in. Nothing. I deserve death. I deserve a prison cell. There is a lot of things that I did in this world that I shouldn't stand here today. But God says, I don't see that. I use that word, but everything previous to this moment, right now, right here, obsolete, it's gone, it's done, it's taken care of. Why? Because he took that white stone and said this. Tossed it out there. But there's something else about that white stone that's super significant. In that time frame, when they would come into the cathedrals and have these, these sporting events in that, the, the people who trained and pushed forward, and the athletes, that the winner, the conqueror of the, of the event, would be given a white stone of a certain type. And what this white stone did said that you're accepted to the after party. Now, I'm not talking about the bar closing 2 a.m. after party. I'm talking about the, the event where, where you, you are congratulated, where you are seen as victorious, where, where you, your hard work is acknowledged. God's saying that to you today. I want everybody to hear it. That God is saying to all of us right here, right now, that if you are willing to believe and you are willing to receive, you are innocent. And you're accepted into what is to come. It talks about that also in, in Revelations 19, verse 9. It says, Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. You're accepted. You're invited. Not, not just to the wedding, which will come when, when God comes back. That, that, that marriage will take place. But you're invited to partake in the after supper with me. God is laying a, a white stone into each one of our hands today and saying that to us question is, are you willing to take your hands out of your pocket and grab a hold of it? Because God wants to give it to you. On that white stone, he says this, and on the stone, I write a new name, excuse me, and on the stone, a new name written. Your name is already on that stone. But what does it say about the name? A kainat name. That is, that is the word that's actually used here. An unheard of name. An uncommon name. As I was thinking about this this week, it, it really made me realize that the name Philip Kiefer is tied to a lot of things that are of this world. But what God calls me isn't attached to that at all. It's, so he's saying that, that, that once, once you've, you've, you've competed in the event and once you're accepted into this, and once I've found you not guilty, I, I want you to understand that not even do I want you to think 
an iota of any of those things. So much that that even your name. I don't want it to be tied to anything of this world. I want you to realize yourself that you are a new creation. That your bloodline is, is new. That your heritage is new. That everything about it is new. And it goes on to say, which no one knows except him who receives it. It's personal. It's between you and God. And we need to understand this, that in our repentance, in our relationship with Christ, in all of it, it is you and Him. It's not you, Him, and your family. It's not you, Him, and the church. It's, it's not you, Him, and your wife. All of those things are benefits of your relationship with Christ. You being, you being a, a servant or a leader or, or any of it, those are all benefits of your relationship with Christ and how they're done. But it's so personal that it's just between you and Him. He doesn't want to speak the name to anybody else. He wants to speak it directly to you to be heard the first time by you. Whitney, can I go ahead? I want you to see something that I've seen this week before we end here. It's just two more verses. The stone in the name. It marks you as a forgiven servant of Christ and a victorious conqueror is what I want you to take away from here today. But I also want you to know that God does not change for today, tomorrow, yesterday, any of it. As a matter of fact, so much that there was an 800-year span that he's showing us right here, right now, that he spoke the same words. Isaiah 62, 2 says, The Gentiles shall see your righteousness, and all kings your glory. You shall be called by the new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. A little farther in Isaiah, it says, You shall leave your name as a curse to my chosen, for the Lord God will slay you, and call his servants by another name. If you're a servant of Christ, you are a new creation. If you have allowed him to intercede on your heart, you have a new name. But more importantly, you're accepted. Right how you are, you are accepted.